There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Hannah Dunleavy, and I want to talk about booze. Alcohol has played a huge role in my life and is responsible for some of its highs and a lot of its lows. I'm interested in what role it plays in other people's lives and how things like age, race, class, sex, religion, geography, profession, health conditions, family history, and good old-fashioned trial and error affect what they drink and why they drink it. I'm not here to preach to anyone. I'm certainly in no position to do that. I'm just looking for a better understanding of alcohol's role in Britain in 2019. This is The Drink. Please listen responsibly. Hi, Hannah here. I'm back from my hiatus. I thought I'd give myself a couple of weeks to A, get over that cough and cold, and B, to stare at BBC Parliament Channel in, well, bemused wonder. Anywho, I've had enough of that, so let's crack on with this. This week's episode is what happened when I went for a pint with the comedian Tin and Duyeb, and we talked about a lot of great stuff. And that's coming up now. I'm not even going to tell you what it is because just, you know, just carry on listening. It was a lot of fun is all I can say. Just to let you know, next week's episode, which will be next Tuesday, I have in the bag already. I went out for a cup of tea with some of the team behind Shitface Shakespeare and Shitface Showtime, which you can probably work out from the name what that is. And also this week, I'm going out for a cup of tea with the comedian Jane Hill to talk about why she doesn't drink anymore and to talk about the difference between being physically addicted to alcohol and psychologically addicted to alcohol. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. If you want to follow me, I am at The Drink Podcast or me personally, although to be fair, I will be talking a lot about Brexit where I am at that Dunleavy. Until next week. Hello, I am here in a pub in Old Street with comedian Tin and Duyeb. You pronounce that brilliantly as well. Uh, I'm very I, had impressed, some, yeah. I had some lessons off someone. Did you? They told me that it's like you go to say the why, but then you, you back out of it. Oh, that's a good that's a good tip. When I told people phonetically, I would say it'd be D O Y E B, but then you still don't really pronounce the Y, so it's still I, you've you've actually got a better technique than I have, <laughs> which is really impressive. So we were having a lunchtime pint. I hope it goes better than my last lunchtime pint I had, where I actually ended up a bit pissed. You're drinking something quite fancy. Yeah, do you know what I was? that, I mean, six pounds went. Oh no! Oh god, was no, it? No, no, I wouldn't no, have, no, I wouldn't have asked like for that. Do you know why I chose it? Is because um, I, I met someone just before I met you for uh, for a meeting, and they they'd got one of these and said it was their favourite point. And I thought, well, it must be quite nice then. Yeah. And I totally, I've, I've uh, terrible um, peer pressure. Just you know, I, uh-huh. he he got one. I thought, well, 
I, that's exactly what I will yeah. have then. Uh, without ever trying it, I might have hated it. Is it um, nice? It's really lovely. I've become a, a wanky ale kind of beer drinker. But kind of through necessity, in that as I get older, lager makes me bloated and awful. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I've found that ale drinks and lighter alcohol drinks uh, suit me better. Yeah. It's so depressing, isn't it, that my drinking habits have basically changed around the fact that my body can't handle anything well, anymore. <laughs> I talk about this all the time. Because I get to be quite pious and say I don't really drink, but it's not from choice. It's yeah. because there was a list of things I could drink, could never do cider, but pretty much everything else I could drink. And then slowly over the years, it's been crossed off the list. Oh. And I'm left with maximum of two pipes, whiskey and gin. That's it. Everything else just kills me. It's so, de- it's so depressing because, yeah, I- I'm the same. I don't really drink and it- it's... Largely because hangovers now are not worth the hassle anymore. And my hangovers aren't proportionate to the drinks I'm having either. So it used to be that I could drink a hefty amount, then I'd get a hefty hangover. Now it's like two or three pints, and then I'm crap for like two days. Yeah. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a big whiskey fan, but I can't really drink whiskey anymore. So now what happens is I buy a bottle of whiskey with the hope that I'll drink it, and sort of two years later it's still in my house. I haven't dared to like yeah. touch the thing. What sort um, of whiskey do you do? I've, I've become a big uh, Japanese whiskey fan. Um, oh, really? And I say that. I'm, I'm I'm a real wuss. No, no, I'm, I'm a big wuss because the uh, the really like peaty, smoky whiskey I can't do. It tastes too tastes too grown up for me. I'm not grown up enough to handle it. Yeah. I like smooth whiskey. I quite like Oban, which I suppose isn't that smooth, but like I'm, I'm one of those wankers that likes Jura, even though I know a lot of people will say it's too smooth. You know, really real whiskey kind of says we're going to get. Oh. Yeah. But there's Japanese whiskeys. Yamazaki, I think, is it called? Uh, and uh, I went to Japan a few years ago. I've never ago. drunk Japanese whiskey, and I consider myself a whiskey fan, so. I it's so crazy smooth, and it was amazing. I think it was like Ed Byrne that put me onto it years ago. Neil and I had a holiday in Japan a few years ago. We, we I, while we were there, went to like a Japanese whiskey bar, which yeah. is mad because they have like these buildings in Japan that are like 15 stories high and they look like there's nothing in them you got to floor 7 and there was a door with a golden eye on it and we walked in and it was a whiskey bar that fit only 14 people in oh, and then they gave us a selection of Japanese and I started going this is the best stuff I've ever had yeah. Japanese whiskey's running out as well because uh, they have I don't know there's big more demand do they mine it or something but that's it it must be yeah. there's a Japanese whiskey <laughs> and uh, so now it's all too expensive for me to buy so now I can't have the, the yeah. anyway these are all such petty complaints. I don't really drink anyway expensive well so when I was in Japan the bottle I bought was something like the equivalent of 30 quid now it's about 400 quid here yeah I wish I hadn't drunk it I wish I'd just kept it on my shelf and uh, and sold it and not had to do a couple of gigs that's what I would do. <laughs> I'm not one of those people who's particularly bothered about having lots of money the, the lifestyle that comes with money you know the yeah. idea that you can buy a really flash car or you know I just want a reliable car it doesn't need yeah. to be flash yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want a, I don't want a speedboat I don't want any of those things I could probably live quite well on a little amount of money however I have always wanted to try Pappy Van Winkle the oh, bourbon wow. that comes in at about £2,000 a bottle and I went into a my local whiskey shop and they had miniatures of it and the miniatures were like 30 quid and I thought no, I, I can't firstly I don't want to think it's the best drink ever and then no I can never afford oh, to God, taste that'd it be again brutal, yeah. and then secondly it's so much money I could get a whole bottle of something for that and I'm sure it can't be that good to be worth that what yeah, there's, it there's, to, you to be worth that? Well, there's got to be like a line with like wines. Don't they say that after sort of 10 quid, between 10 quid and sort of 80 quid, a bottle of wine's kind of the same? I'm sure that's like the rule. I've probably made that up, but there's somewhere where there's a point where yeah. it doesn't matter. It must be the same with whiskey. There can't be a point where it's like so different. I was having this conversation with Sam Avery, who you, you must yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And because he's a whiskey fan, and we were saying, you know, actually, the weird thing is, you could 
of all the spirits, you buy a cheap gin or a cheap vodka, it can be nasty. The cheapest bourbon you pick up on a shelf, Jim Beam, is actually really nice. Yes, yeah, it's still it's all really sugar. Drinkable. It's still all sugar. That's because I can't really have it because I'm diabetic, and I used to drink loads of bourbon, and it would make me go a bit weird. Yeah. Uh, partly, it just didn't suit. Uh, it made me angry, which I'm not an angry person, but also uh, diabetes-wise was horrendous yeah. for me. Probably explain the anger. Actually, I've never put those two yeah. together. Because it's just pure damn sugar. It's so, yeah. but that's why it always tastes like decent. Yeah, it's, got, it's like a nice sweet drink. Isn't yeah, it? I don't know why. Actually, for two of them, it was Jack Daniels that kind of developed that level of cachet, bad boy, yeah. whatever. Because it's. I mean, pubs are getting better now. They haven't been, but for a long time, a lot of pubs just had Jack Daniels, and you're like, that's actually the last bourbon I would choose. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not a particularly great one. No, yeah, it's all the imagery of it, it, isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's the fact that that logo is just seen on a lot of I don't know photos with people in bikers jackets. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is that. Yeah, definitely. Even though it comes from like it's a, isn't the Jack Daniel City where they make it like teetotal, isn't it? Yeah, and see that makes me not trust it immediately. Yeah. If you come from, if if they make a booze in a place where they can't drink it, don't trust that booze. Yeah. If you go to a restaurant where the people that work there won't eat there, you wouldn't want to go there. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. I have to say, ninety percent of my knowledge about Jack Daniels comes from they always have those adverts that basically have train, an essay yeah. on the train station. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Just standing waiting for my train to arrive, learning facts about Jack Daniels. That is exactly the same. I've got no actual knowledge uh, beyond that whatsoever. So yeah. can we talk about diabetes? Yeah, if you want, yeah. <laughs> so, because I spoke to Paul Sinner, hmm. and he was given a diagnosis of being, like, basically pre pre-diabetic I think he called it so well uh, firstly I'm going to uh, set the record straight here Paul was uh, on the verge of becoming type 2 diabetic and I'm a type 1 diabetic Okay. and there is a massive difference that is largely ignored by most media but type 2 is what you get through uh, well largely get through being unhealthy and through putting on weight um, and it's a symptom where your pancreas doesn't give you as much insulin as it should become insulin resistant type 1 is an autoimmune virus so your pancreas stops working because your body takes itself out um, and it's a completely different thing so with it well no I got it when I was four so you can get it a lot of people get it at teenagers actually puberty often kicks it off I got it a lot younger the big difference is is that type two you've got to be healthy and you've got to try and lose weight so your insulin kick back in type one I've got to inject and give insulin in order to balance my blood sugars so if they go too low I need sugar if they go too high I've got to do insulin and it's it's a big thing everyone always goes diabetes is rising type two is rising what about us guys like don't blame me for it I've just put on weight afterwards it's a different thing yeah so I've had it I've had it for years I've just you know, I don't remember not having it. So, um, but you have to accommodate it in your lifestyle choices, I guess. Yeah, and it's actually all I've chosen like the stupid lifestyle for diabetes because really you need regularity, and it's part of the reason why I have, have put weight. I've got a diabetic pump, and that means it gives me insulin every two minutes, and you do insulin uh, extra insulin when you need it and things. And having an erratic lifestyle is the worst. You need extra insulin all over the place, and uh, when you go on stage, your blood sugars go up because yeah. of adrenaline, and then come down, which means I need extra insulin to put in there. So, you know, if I had a more sensible life, I'd probably be able to control it a lot better. God, when I think about what I ate when I used to gig, which was finish work, go and gig, not have any dinner, 
ate a Jizzdas pasty in the, from the only garage that was open and then go to bed. Yeah, I mean, you can't live like that. No, it's, it's terrible. It's, always, it's, it's why I also think so many uh, comics have like become type 2 diabetic yeah. later on because their diet's terrible. Or they've all got weird, you know, so many comics got IBS and so many comics got digestive issues. You yeah. just think, this must be, like, you've got to be a good percentage of that is down to service station yeah. cuisine. You know. Hard. I mean, yeah. I, I, whenever I go through my tax receipts, there's a frightening amount of egg mayo sandwiches on it. Because I'm veggie, so that's nearly the only choice that I can always have. Yeah. So it's just like a... The, I almost need a separate uh, extra area of tax expenses just egg mayo sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that or the footwell of the passenger seat of your car. That you're like, I best clean that out because someone's getting right. in it. And you're so like, grim. how many chicken mayonnaise sandwiches that, that were probably about to turn as I was eating them. At, at two o'clock in the so morning. So horrible. So yeah, horrible. It's really gross. Mm. You have to inject every day. Yeah, I used to inject five times a day. And now I've got this diabetic pump, which you can't see. It's just on my arm at the moment, but it's, right. it's got a cannula in it. Oh, so, so, you, so for example, yeah. you go out, you get legless, yeah. you fall asleep. That does the work for you. That does, yeah, so right. it's, it's basically, I'll move it every two days. So at the moment it's in my arm, sometimes it's in my lower back, sometimes it's in my legs, sometimes it's in my stomach. And it's got a cartridge of insulin in it. And that just gives me insulin. It's, it's changed my life because it used to be that yeah I, I just, you just inject at different points and yeah. then in between those points your body can be doing whatever and now this is like having a pancreas that works just attached to my arm which sounds really gross when I say it like that yeah. Um, but yeah it's, 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 um, it's pretty good it's pretty, everything's getting better you know they're just yeah. developing amazing things and do, do you know one of my dad's best friends was diabetic and they, he was a in fact he ran a pub um, and I can remember, you know, that thing where you just walk into rooms and just charged into our bathroom. And he had the big, like, the needle in those days when I was yeah. a kid to, like, and be absolutely freaking out. I was about five. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? And that's when I got my lesson in diabetes and this is what it is. But, yeah, I mean, basically, he looked like, I mean, he looked like he was injecting heroin. That's not, I mean, that's yeah. not what I thought because I don't well, think at that age you know I used to get is, asked, but. like, not to sit in the windows of restaurants because I do my insulin before dinner and doing it. It was in a syringe or whatever and they'd sort of go can you not sit in the window and I'd go it's it's diabetes and I'd get quite angry with them but it's an amazing thing with booze right so booze raises your sugars temporarily and then drops them quite rapidly so you have to work out like one pint now that we're having I don't need to do any insulin for that but if I have two pints the sugar's greater than the amount it'll drop so I have to do a little bit of insulin three pints forward but of course the more I'm drinking the less I remember to do the insulin so then you end up with a hangover that's not only terrible but your blood sugars are way too high so you've got all these extra but the fun, I did a, a gig for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Fund a couple of years ago who were like a, a charity that you know help people with type 1 diabetes and it was a room full of experts and a whole load of people that have diabetes and are all interested and I did a bit of a set and there was a talk and a lecture and afterwards everyone got wasted everyone just hit the bar and got absolutely wasted and with the whole conversation point being oh this is terrible for us isn't it yes it is oh it's awful so I think it's just in I don't know something in the nature (laughs) to just deal with it as well as diabetes, you have another, I suppose, I don't wish to, wish to refer to your darling child as lifestyle cram. There's been a change for you in the last eight, 18 months, how uh, She's nearly a year. She's a yeah. year later this month. Yeah, no, you're right. It is a, 
in some ways it's some sort of disability. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> well, it's just I was saying to you just before we started recording. She's she had a cold this week, which means that she wakes up every hour of the night screaming at the injustice of a blocked nose, <laughs> and uh, and that it ruins you. Particularly, I've I've been gigging all week, and every night I've gone on stage and halfway through a joke, gone I don't know what the end is <laughs> because I haven't slept enough. <laughs> But it's, it's strange that because like the the in the months leading up to her being born, Layla wasn't drinking. Obviously, she was pregnant, and I was not drinking with her. I was like, right, I'm not going to drink with you. And then actually, you sort of think when a kid comes on, you might drink less. But no, it's the coping thing. If she goes to bed, we need to get a bottle of wine out yeah. because it's the only way to calm your brain down. Yeah, you're like, right, I don't have to care about the life of someone for a few hours. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to neck this bottle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's so much judgment about parents and drinking, but actually. Uh, if I meet parents who don't drink, I sort of think, what's wrong with you? What, you know. I mean, I spoke to the scummy mummies, and they they are now at the point where they're sort of coming out the other side a little bit of parenthood. They get they get night sleep, oh, and, and they were like, now they, they they were actively trying to drink less, sure, because sure. they realised they had got into a just kids are in bed over the fridge kind of routine. Yeah, and Sam Avery said a, a similar thing because he was just like, I can't parent with a hangover. I just can't cope with... Yeah, yeah. And he's got two. He's got twins. So he's like, I can't do that with a hangover. So it has to be... Drinking has to go. Yeah, I can see that. I think that, I think there's... um Yeah, like, to, to be fair, we don't drink to excess, which goes to bed. You just need a... It's almost like... um just the only way to switch your brain off for an hour when you're yeah. so t- because I, there's, a, there's a tiredness that comes with parenthood and I, I, I should add that you know non-parents listening uh, sorry if this is boring and parents that are listening you already know this yeah. nobody is going to appreciate this information but the um, there's a tiredness that comes with that I never experienced and so many people warned me like you're going to be really tired but no one warned me enough yeah. because especially as a stand up like I've had more sleep than anyone for a long time, I've probably not been prepared for this. And I've never had to get up in the mornings unless it's to catch a flight or you know something like that. And and really, you like it's been nearly a year now of not sleeping properly ever. Yeah, I, I was I did uh, Mark Watson's long comedy show last week, twenty six point two hour show, and it was really weird because for most of the first night, which is normally when I'd really hurt doing these shows, I was fine because it's like well, I'm normally up now. Anyway, yeah. it was only towards the end of the show and I realised I hadn't even had a nap, I was in trouble. But it does just really wear you down. And as a result, like when you're trying to relax, I can't read because I just fall asleep. Yeah. You can't really, there's a lot of TV that I'm just not, I can't deal with. I have to watch really stupid TV to get through it. And so you just like, glass of wine, stupid TV, turn the brain off and then hope that you can get an hour's sleep. Yeah. Like that's, you know... Because booze actually, sometimes, like, it, literally, I mean, today's not a bad example. I was working last night, and I worked till about one o'clock. I didn't realise it was one o'clock by the time I'd finished. I was editing a podcast. And then I was like, yeah. And then I was like, right, okay, I need to do the going to bed things, big cats, and all of that stuff. So then it was like two o'clock. And then I realised that I had an interview this morning at, like, half eleven. Oh shit! I've got to get up about eight o'clock, so I, I was going to have about six hours sleep. But then I thought that's all right because I'll have a pint with tin, and then that will wake, that will actually wake <laughs> me up. That's what that purpose booze will serve. Booze in that way sometimes sort of gives you it a bit of a, gives you a bit of a kick. One. Now later, after I finish this, I'm going to do an episode of Drunk Women Solving Crime, and I'll be amazed if I'm awake by the end of it. Sure. 
Yeah, because you have to drink through that. Don't yeah, you? yeah, that's going to be tricky. I, I'm finding. I mean, my concern with this one bite I'm having, again, I said earlier, my lack of sleep plus the fact I've got a gig tonight. Yeah, I don't know how that gig's going to go. Uh-huh. It, or the audience are going to have a variable show. So, so tell me about that crowd, uh, Frankie Boyle's crowd. Are they a, are they a boozy crowd? No, they're not. Frankie Boyle. So it, it's um, I, I started doing sport Frankie what five five years ago, four five years ago. It's me and Jen Brister. Yeah, that share most of them together. It's really nice. Although sadly, doesn't mean we ever get to see each other. Yeah. We're often doing different nights. But I was terrified when I first did them for him. I was terrified because I just assumed they'd be heckly, raucous. Yeah. They're not. They're from his Guardian colleagues and from his BBC him. Two show. Yeah. They're really smart, and they're the sort of crowd that I will do a joke about a specific person in politics, and they'll get it. Whereas another crowd will absolutely not know who I'm talking about. Yeah. And so I can be really. Um, yeah, do really specific political humour for them, and they're a joy. They're an absolute joy. And uh, the thing that throws me is that every now and then they go ooh or something, and I think you're here to see Frankie Boyle. Yeah. How has this joke offended you? He's got a couple of gags about the royal family at the moment, and the audience last few nights will go ooh, and it's you know he's going to do yeah. this. You've come here for this. Why are you concerned? Yeah. It's really strange, really odd. But they're they're a proper delight, and also. You know, that real... Uh, none of them really heckle. And if they do want to heckle, they want to heckle him because they want his response. Yeah. But it also... This is such a total cheat, and I feel like such a, uh, a sort of con for saying this. But the nice thing, when they're on with me, if somebody does heckle or looks at their phone or something, I can simply point out, of going, you're lucky you're doing that while I'm on. And then that shuts them up because they know that <laughs> they're going to have to stop it. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a, I'm going to get my dad a threat, but it means that I have a really easy gig. But it then makes going back to normal gigs so hard. You just see these delightful gigs and get to hang out with Frankie, who's so lovely. And then I'm, I have to go back and do a weekend gig and go, oh, I don't care about any of these people's lives. Yeah. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> when we do our live shows with Standard Issue, and you put that picture on Twitter, and it gives out this impression to the world that your life is really exciting and glamorous. Because here you are with Claire Balding, or here you are with Nigella Lawson, or... Olivia Coleman or whoever and and then I'll have friends ring me and say oh what are you doing this weekend and I'm like literally at the second I'm cleaning the gook out of my washing machine drawer <laughs> you know like I, don't, I still have to do the same shit that everybody else does my life is yeah. particularly boring but there's, it I feels think, more boring the day after you spent it with Nigella and all sort of yeah like, absolutely I bet she she no she's probably never cleared any sort of crap out of kitchen has she oh, I, I she's got people that do yeah. that for her she must do even though she makes a real mess some of those shows are what she makes you know makes a meal and you go you've made a real yeah. mess here there's, and you don't have to clean it and of course you're happy to cook but, there's, but I think there's always that thing with entertainment isn't it like we, you discussed service stations earlier that's, that whole thing of you know you do gigs and for anywhere between you know, 30 people and 2,000 people and I've, I've come off stage after one of those going oh amazing and then you find yourself in the services at one in the morning by yourself yeah. having a pasty going oh my life and then and this is again the same especially since having a kid is that I'll do um you know, we did this brilliant marathon show last week and there were various celebrities popped yeah. in. It was insane. The feeling was amazing in this mad bubble for that long. And I got home at 12.30 at night. And at five in the morning, my daughter woke us up by crying. And then you go, oh, mm. oh this is my life. This and is my life, clothes yeah. had baby sick on them. And you just yeah. go, oh, it's not, you know, you can't. It's um, it's such a weird balance. And yeah. I, I think like, a lot of people don't understand that as well. I, I think it must happen for the bigger acts too. You still, um, you know, you have to clean up your pet's crap or you have yeah. to, whatever you have to do. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, with me, it's cat sick. Yeah, do, do a lot of that. 
Tell me about the, the, your sort of early experiences with drinking. When was when was the first time you got drunk? Oh, God. Um, I was probably about 12 or 13. I, it, I, I went to North London State School and there were lots of house parties and drinking. And I don't know. It, I, I mean, I'm sort of really curious now about how young people supposedly not drinking as much in that but when it was when we were young the whole thing was who's the oldest looking person what can they buy in the news agents which bottle of vodka which bottle of strongbow yeah. <laughs> and that's what we do we go to um you know alexandra palace sit on the top of alexandra palace and get wasted on a massive bottle of cider yeah. or <laughs> something like that um i sort of look back on my drinking and i, I definitely drank far too between the age of about 18 and about 24 i drank way way too much and it's strange because I think I drank to a problem. I definitely had people ask me if it was a problem, but I just really enjoyed it. I genuinely yeah. really love drinking a lot. I didn't actually think about what, what I was drinking or how much I was drinking mm. until I was, I would say that even older than 24, I probably was 30 before I actually thought, shit, I do drink a lot. In your 30s, it suddenly becomes a lot, as, as we mentioned before, it just suddenly becomes a whole lot harder to drink. And I, I think that, that's the thing of being young especially when I was a teenager and drinking, I never got any hangovers, I didn't get yeah. any hangovers, and we were drinking then, uh, you know, all that horrible, like, 2020, and all those, uh, what were those, hooch, and just yeah. all the, all the alcohol pops were out then, which yeah. can only have been aimed at teenagers. Yeah, absolutely. Because, it, I mean, it was, you know, they always used to say, oh, these are for adults only, but they, you wouldn't design a bottle with cartoon dogs on it, no. and say it's a lemonade, unless you wanted kids to drink yeah. it. Um, and 2020 was like a blue liquid that tasted of fruit, and it was horrible, vile stuff but you wouldn't have had that no. if you didn't want somebody who'd be attracted by a blue liquid and, and they were also remarkably easy to get hold of. I mean I, I started going clubbing when I was 14 and um, because of where my school was it was in, just sort of in, in Crouch Emway state school and we were we, we I got into like Britpop way too late because our school was big into drum bass and hip hop and jungle and garage and and, uh, and so we'd go clubbing to all these things and yeah. you'd just sort of go yes I'm 18 and uh, kind of somehow get in because they didn't age check you whatever in the early 90s oh you see and, like, you like I oh, we're, we're little yeah yeah so I didn't look I I didn't look 18 for for like until I was like oh, yeah. at least 16 and then I got massive tits and then it was no problem because <laughs> I think they just thought yeah she's got huge tits she must be 18 but yeah for a long time I was the little person who was being surrounded by people to try and get them in because I I, yeah. was, I was the height of a 12 year old at like 15 or whatever um, I definitely had that problem, but I would hang around people who looked older yeah. and I'd get in as part of a group. And also, in that horribly sexist way, if we had girls with us as well, yeah. then they'd probably just let us in. And I, I don't know, I, I think they just didn't care as much. There was definitely a point where suddenly I got age-checked and I'd never been age-checked. But there was like a club in Islington called The Complex, which is like five floors and the bottom floor was like drum bass and then it was like hip-hop and then it was jungle and then it was funk and it, and it was like amazing to you know, really good DJs and stuff, but we, you know, it was a big club and it was open every weekend and we'd just queue up as 14, 15 year olds and they just let us in. They wouldn't even question it. They wouldn't even look at us. They wouldn't search us. They wouldn't look at us. And then definitely a few years later, suddenly bag checks and yeah. age ID. So I assume I just, li- I was very lucky to live in a very naive yeah. age when yeah. no one cared. Um, so, which, so say you know. no one cared, did your parents care? 
Um, weirdly, uh, not. They were sort of, so my parents are, well, they were proper hippies, like proper hippies in the 1972, they traveled around the States living in communes and uh, oh, really? backpacking everywhere. And they, uh, lived in a commune when oh, my first year of life was in a commune. Why and am they, I interviewing right, you? I know, you <laughs> should interview them. They're amazing. And, and they, you know, and my, my dad's advice to me on drugs was always, oh, uh, do what you like, be careful, but don't do acid. It really fucked me up. And that was his sort of advice. And I was very serious and went, right, well, I won't then. Cause that's, yeah. uh. You know, that means a lot. And they became child protection social workers. But their whole thing was about giving me the right information yeah. and then kind of letting me get on with it. Yeah, it's, it's funny, actually, because I've ended up being kind of more calm. And my brother, who's younger, they're a bit more protective over. He's a hip-hop DJ and ends up... He's, I mean, still, he's now in his, well, in his 30s, but was yeah. always out all night long yeah. DJing and doing whatever. So I think I've ended up weirdly being the more calm one. But, yeah, they were... Um, Oddly sort of good about it. And and we always lived uh, near a tube station. You know, it wasn't yeah. it hard for me to get home ever. Uh, it's the bonus of living in London now, which um, yeah. is becoming harder to do. But yeah. Do you think so, you're going to be that relaxed with your child? Oh, God, no, comes? no, I'm terrified. For, but then I think the world now is not... Uh, I mean, of course, what an old thing to say, isn't it? It's not as good as it was when I was... Yeah, young. all right, but it's, all nuts. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> but I, I think... Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I will be. I think I'm, I'm more aware of uh, the awfulness of stuff. As a teenager, I was so totally naive to it and just turn up to things. Which, actually, I say this, and this is without going too bleak, because I had to do a, the newspaper review on BBC London the other day, which is not glamorous, because I was there at 4am. And um, it just, Somebody asked me to do one, they said, you need to be in the office at 7, and I went, in that case, no. Oh, God. I, no. Do you know, I, I, I'm so easily persuaded. They sent me an email going... We here in the studio really like your podcast and we wonder if you'd come on. I went, oh, do you? Yes, yeah. I will do it then. And that was me just, I totally got sucked yeah. in and agreed to it. And then as it got closer, I like, oh no. But we, they were doing a big discussion on knife crime and I forgot that. I, I, like, my mate's brother got stabbed in our school and, and we had stabbings on our road all the time. And uh, I had a, a, I was reminded that when um, first year of uni, I had a friend come and stay with me in the summer and he called me at the end of our road and said, oh, I can't, I'm at the end of your road, I can't get in, it's police cordoned off. And I went, oh yeah, someone's been stabbed, just let them know you're coming to number 30 and they'll let you in. And I was so casual about it because that was our yeah. area. And in a, in a weird way, almost, I think almost because that's how things were, you just sort of got on with yeah. it. And that sounds strange, but you just knew you knew how to avoid it, and you knew who the people that you should yeah. avoid were, and keep yourself out of trouble. And and so, um, and we used to have a sort of joke as well, which is such an awful thing, where the the, the kids that were likely to stab or mug you would normally be in bed by eleven or twelve. So if you stayed out late and that, yeah. you're quite you're quite safe. We'd out club the dangerous yeah. kids, uh-huh. and so yeah. that was almost safer for us. When you were at university, that was... You went to university, yes? Yeah, I did, yeah, yeah. yeah. Study drama, so that was pointless. Uh, That was boozy, I'm guessing. Horrifically. I've got a lot of lost memories from just before uni and then throughout uni and then after uni. (laughs) A lot of lost memories. It was horrifically boozy. Because, again, it was so easy to and everything was free. I went to University of Kent uh, in Canterbury and the union there would just endlessly have free shots promotions and cheap drinks promotions. And there was all the... um, What were those pubs called? I can't remember what they're called. They've got like a yellow logo and it was like points for a pound day. Oh, the walkabouts? Um, no, not the walkabouts. They're called something else. I can't remember what they're called. Yeah, they're like specifically always in student areas. Yeah. They've got a big yellow logo and it's always like points for a quid on a Tuesday. And then there was a local pub so it's called the Cherry Tree that every Thursday would do pound on double shots of vodka. And um, and that was student loan days as well. So especially at the beginning of term, you yeah. just get a wad of money in and be completely irresponsible. And I was a drama student. I had nothing important to actually do yeah. ever. 
you know, it's arguable that I do have four years of student loan for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. It was a four-year course that I did as well. But it is also why I started stand-up, so it's kind of uh, helped in a way. But yeah, I... Uh, I regularly would uh, lose an entire evening. I had lots of nights where there's loads of things that I still don't know what happened where my entry card into my dorms in my first year didn't work um, and yet there was a night where I woke up in bed with my shoes by my side, my phone in my charger, but I couldn't have got in. I don't know how... I don't know who let me in. I don't know what happened. I assume it was... Yeah, well, I assume it was a warden. I assume they they were wardens. Then, sadly, then they got rid of you. It's like cuts, but, you know, I assume it was a nice warden. But all these things where you kind of go, I could have... I don't know, I could have had all my stuff in it. You know, whatever happened. What a shit job that would have been. That must have been their entire life. Yeah. Dragging drunk people to their room. But my memory of them was, I think that they felt like they were the guardian. I felt like, you know, like that. what they liked about it is they were very lovely to us all during the day. And then at night, they're like, right, we're going to... You know, this is your time to have fun. Yeah. You'd sort of hope, anyway. Again, they probably nicked half my stuff. I, I was too pissed to notice. <laughs> I didn't know. It's funny, I don't really have regrets as such, because I think I'm too old and I realise that just life's gone on. But there's definitely situations I had that I could have done better if I wasn't so off my face. Um, every student ball was a, a mess. There was a girl I particularly fancied who I uh, won awful night after a winter ball uh, thing which was at Margate Winter Gardens I don't know why you'd have anything there and everyone had to get <laughs> dressed up and we just sort of ruined a bottle of vodka and, and everything else and uh, I went back to her room and pretty much passed out and then she had to in the night go to the loo the door locked behind her and I wouldn't wake up and then she had to go to the wardens in basically just a t-shirt and nothing else and get let back in and that kind of ruined that relationship yeah. entirely because <laughs> I was a total mess <laughs> yeah there's far too many sort of stories like that that were uh, God. I was just yeah all over the place but again I just was really having the time of my life and thought it was brilliant so, so what sort uh, of drunk are you then? Well, I've changed. I definitely changed when I stopped drinking bourbon. But bourbon definitely made me sort of quite aggressive. And I don't know, it was weird. I, I, it really changed my personality, I think. I'm now more a lovely drunk. I like. I, yeah. I just like chatting and and uh, I'm very huggy, which is uh, it can now be taken very much the wrong way, but it's generally my... I just sort of want to go, oh, I'm really pleased you, yeah. I'm with you. And, um, it's like an E. Yeah, it's, absolutely. I think so, yeah. Um so I just get very, very happy. With mm. it. I, I, lo- I really like being pissed. I just, just it isn't good for me anymore. It's such a no. shame. It's such a shame to enjoy something that you know is so bad for you. But I suppose it's the same as cakes or cheese. chocolate and cheese. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, is it impossible to say what's the most drunk you've ever been? Is there a is there a particular night that lives in infamy? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, my twenty first birthday, I regularly had no less than two or three drinks in my hand. We had it at a bar in town. It, you know, and um, just invited everybody in the you know you know you have more friends than you ever have yeah. partly because later on your age you can't bother with half of them but and um, oh, the so, definition of what cl- class is as a friend is quite oh it's quite very wide and yeah that absolutely someone I met in a club once yeah absolutely and I, I had this real benefit so my birthday is early January and the way student loans used to work is they'd come in at the beginning of term and the January term was always about two or three days before my birthday so everyone would have all their money that they wouldn't have the rest of the year so we just I, I just would never be without a drink and I drank everything for hours and I don't know what happened I don't remember a lot of stuff but at some point I disappeared and everyone noticed that I wasn't at my own party and they found me asleep in the doorstep of my friend's house because I'd been ringing on his doorbell to see because I didn't know where my keys were because I'd left them all at the bar and um, they were trying to and I was trying to see if he'd let me in but obviously he was at my party so he wouldn't have done so I just fell asleep in his doorstep and I had violent shakes for about two or three days and was throwing really? up really horrible stuff 
after that it was like really terrified missed all my lessons for days and just well, I mean there's a really, you know, there's a really fine line I mean I, I'm a puker in fact it's a good 10% of this podcast has been anecdotes about me throwing up and sometimes it's I feel like I've stepped over a line and this mm. is actually this is this is alcohol this is, poisoning yeah this yeah is, yeah this is literally I've I have definitely shaken, yeah I've done something I've gone to, to my nervous system and something's gone wrong this yeah again. No, and <laughs> Yeah. I've definitely had that, but I think also with comedy because I've done it since university. I've had I had a gig in in Denmark in Aarhus, and the Danish are terrible drinkers they're just brutal. And, and I remember having doing now a show out there, which is amazing. Then they all took me out and got me drunk and just drunk and drunk and drunk and drunk. And the next day I had to spend the entire day in my hotel shaking because I just couldn't. Oh. And I, the gig that night was horrendous, you know. Uh-huh. And Edinburgh similarly, just um, especially back in when they used to have a lot more parties with a lot more free booze there were several times when just I'd lose a whole day of the, the, the final of So You Think You're Funny mm. that was always a free yeah, bar but the booze was horrific like it was horrible but like yeah. the cocktails were terrible yeah. but they'd be free yeah. and so you could just neck them and there was yeah. always more uh, I think in more recent years when I've been there's not as much booze and there definitely was at that point several per person Yeah, but I think that was necessary in Edinburgh because she'd finally completed the month and you know, it was like letting your hair down, like I finally got through all this. But, jeez, I, I don't know what I did to myself. It was a, you know, it was really vicious stuff. I've, I've got a whole list of when I was 16, I had a Southern Comfort downing competition with a mate after already been oh, drinking Jesus. all day. Yeah, and it was like we had little plastic cups and like we were filling them up and necking them. Yeah, absolutely, it was horrendous. It's, again, diabetes-wise, must have been so bad, but then... My friend had to help me get home. I tried to. I climbed into a skip that had a mattress in it and fell asleep, and he had to carry me out of it and get me, <laughs> get me home. And I just, I've got a series of these kind of, <laughs> you know, passed out before. And there was one. Uh, there was a brilliant pub in Holborn that we used to go to called the Old Crown. I think it's still there, but it's not the same. And the guy that owned it. He used to know two friends of mine, Sam and Stefan, and so whenever we'd turn up, he'd get out a super soaker and fill it with booze and squirt it in your mouths, and everyone would dance at tables, and everyone would yeah. get there, suddenly shout free shots, and they'd run around with it. And it was always like this mad place you go to on a Friday. And obviously now, legally, they can't do any of that. Yeah. It doesn't happen. But we went there for New Year's Eve, and I was done by 11 o'clock and passed out in the corner, completely missed the midnight. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it just, all these times where you look back and go, that's quite sad, actually, to yeah. ruin things before you've even... You know, yeah. enjoyed where you're there for. Although New Year's Eve is just... The, oh, it's a terrible night. I, yeah. I mean, I literally don't know any... Well, and that's not true. I do know a couple of people who get excited about New Year. But it's like this... Everybody else feels the same way that I do, which is just... And you, clearly. You know, it's it's a... It's like Valentine's Day. It's this thing that you have pressure to be in, be enjoying it in a certain way and, yeah. and all of that. And all everyone does is get very, very drunk because it's the only sort of way to get through that evening. And it's such an odd concept because I think I've probably had a couple of good New Years. Yeah, me too. In, yeah. in 25 odd years of like going out for New Year, I've had a couple. It's horrible. So everything's overpriced and there's so much expectation that mm. it will never be met. It's awful. I've had generally awful ones apart from the ones where I've stayed in and we've made something really nice to eat and yeah. just <laughs> complained about how crap Jules Holland is or whatever. You know, yeah. that's, those have been the best ones. But also, you know, I always think, I think I, I've definitely become more pessimistic as I've got older. But it's part of me just goes, oh, it's just another year. Yeah. Like, you know, it doesn't mean so much. When you're younger, it's like, oh, it's another year. Yeah. I'm, I'm living more. And now you, you get old and you kind of go, oh, no, I'm just, I'm closer to death. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. not, it's not as exciting uh, anymore. Well, this year I did nothing, nothing on New Year's Eve. And a couple of people were like, oh, are you going to be all right? And you're like, 
I've literally, Christmas Day was a week ago. I've seen about seven friends, about nine members of my family. I've been into London, I've driven here, I've done this. All in the last six days. And now I have a night where I don't want to do anything. I can't, just fancy staying in and watching Netflix. I don't, mm. but it kind of comes this with this kind of loaded attachment of it. It's a borderline tragic thing not to be out enjoying New Year with the rabbit ears. Yeah, well, that's it. And also, you know that no one is enjoying it, is actually no. enjoying it. So, if anything, you're saying, it's like, it's like all the people that go see the fireworks and the Thames or whatever, and I just look at them and go, oh, it's going to take you hours to get yeah. home. There's nowhere for you to wee. Like, you're going to have a horrible yeah. night. I'm much happier at home yeah. not doing this whatsoever. Absolutely. Although, that, I mean, you want to try being a woman when there's nowhere to wait. That's... Oh, God, yeah. Oh, actually, that is probably, of the things that I've done when I'm drunk, when I think about it, the places I've pissed is probably the thing that would stop me getting into heaven. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> the, the stories of... Just at that point, you're like, I'm just desperate, and you can't do it up against a yeah, yeah. wall like a man. You have to go at least somewhere that's vaguely hidden. So I, I mean, yeah, eighteen, nineteen, I weed in people's front gardens. That's a horrible thing to do. Well, but probably great for their in, plants in graveyards. Yeah, in, I weed on the steps of a gala bingo once, and I think it's the closest I've ever been to being in a Smiths. <laughs> it just feels intrinsically weird. <laughs> Um, it was shut. It wasn't open. Yeah, that sure, sure. Terrible, but, yeah. but I'd also argue a lot of people go to Scarlet Bingo probably we on the steps on the way in. Yeah, that's at, true. By accident, without even knowing. So that's I think true. you're fine. Yeah. You've got to go, you know, if, if there is such a thing as heaven, uh, you know, whoever created it believes in nature. you like... Not designed people yeah. to we it's their fault Absolutely. that's all I'm saying is you believe in these things that it's got to carry through in it, some way you should have made it gotta... simpler for women not to just piss into their socks that's it yeah. that's entirely a design fault planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You know, do you ever get mardy? Do you ever say things to people you shouldn't say when you're drunk? Yeah, I, I definitely have done. Um, again, I think bourbon and whiskey is... is it's, I really shouldn't drink it, ever. Chortle Awards, the, the comedy awards, used to, again, be a big old free booze fest for Canadians. I, yeah, I've been to one, and yeah. I got so unbelievably drunk that... I'll tell my story later. I got very... <laughs> oh, no, you can't do that. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Um, I, I used to get... Uh, that was my thing of, right, 
oh, this is the night I'm going to get absolutely demolished. And uh, and and regularly, most years, I do. I think it's the only time I've ever had the courage to speak. I spoke to Eddie Izzard at one of them because it was when I was quite a new comic and he was there, and I just drank enough to go and have a chat with him, which is yeah. quite. That's like quite a good thing. That's quite a nice thing. Um, one of the bad ones was that I was drinking with Greg McHugh, who's now brilliant. Fresh, well, he's been yeah. fresh, he's been everything. He's brilliant. He's on my list of people I'd like to talk to. Oh, actually. he's the loveliest man, and he used to be a fantastic stand-up when he did it. Because um, he talks about mental health a lot, which is hmm. unusual for men to. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, and he, well, yeah, he used to sort of when he's a straight stand-up, he did as well. And then he ended up doing Gary Tank Command, yeah. fantastic. Anyway, I've known Greg for years, like, and, and I hadn't seen him in ages. And so we just started hitting the bar to catch up. And um, while we were there, he was joined by other people from the TV shows he's in, including, um, and now I'm not going to remember his name, the guy that's in Fresh Meat that was also Joe Thomas, that's it. Yeah, and Joe came to say hello, and I quite rudely told him that I thought it was like, why does he always play the same character in everything he's in? Uh, You're not a very good actor, are you? It's amazing that you've managed to be in all these things. Oh, fucking hell. But I was doing it with a smart, something in my head thought, oh, he'll appreciate this chat. And um, and he was there with one of the main women from uh, Fresh Meat as well. I can't really remember who was there. And they just looked at me like, what are you? You're an asshole." And um, he was very nice. Oh, nice to meet you and kind of walked off. And it's, I, I, I ended up doing a small part in Fresh Meat a couple of years later. And luckily he didn't remember oh, really? me and we all got yeah. on very well. And it was very nice. But I felt like such a prick. But it was the same I was. I was... Um, I got away with it. I didn't. Nothing happened, which is like a weird. Karma is obviously not a thing because that just he was weirdly polite to me. He's actually to quite a nice man. I shouldn't have said these things, <laughs> um, but I, I just thought it was a brilliant thing. So, but that same night as well because uh, it was when I used to live with Nat Lertzimer and uh, uh, at, at the time. And we woke up the next day and we had massive bruises on our knees and we couldn't work out what had happened, but we both in the cab on the way home hadn't put our seatbelts on and he stopped abruptly and we'd both fallen off our seats oh, at the really? same time and smashed our legs in. Yeah. <laughs> Which is brilliant. Drunk injuries from my... I had a friend... That, um, I've never had any good ones. I've had very sort of scratch and scrapes, but uh, one of my best mates at uni, we used to have these big house parties at uni and he... Uh, woke up the next day with his face basically completely smashed in and on his way home he'd just fallen into a hedge like face first yeah. and then slid down onto the concrete and broken uh, like just bruised entire oh, face but didn't remember any of it there was uh, somebody he knew had happened to witness it yeah but uh, it's incredible I, I got was... up one morning when I had to go to work when I was working as a um, when I was working at a daily newspaper I went outside and my bike was fucked like the front wheel was all like folded over and it was just fucked and I came inside and I was like I can't believe this my bike has been vandalised and they were looking at me and I thought it was sympathy and then Laura said Hannah you walked in the door last night you said I just rode into a skip and then you went to bed and fell asleep and I was like oh, okay then still can't remember it that is a but, yeah just That's smashed so up my bike it's so weird because some of that like bravado that you get from booze is I, I really wish I'd have it in every day. Yeah, without the actual effort of getting drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's without without the hangover. Even just without the hangover would be really yeah. good. Or, or just the willingness to. I, I, I again, I went travelling around Europe when I was I don't know twenty with mate. I had the Interrail pass, which I don't know if you. I did those. that. Yeah, amazing things. Yeah. You just have one ticket. You travel like two hundred quid, and I travelled yeah. around for like four months or something. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we were going for ages, and um, and like during that, we just get drunk in every different country, <laughs> yeah. and um, and uh, I fell asleep on like this wall that 
had a massive drop on the other side and only woke up and went, oh yeah, I could have just rolled off and died. But you just don't care. It doesn't matter. You're like, ah, no. full of booze, full of youth. It doesn't, none of this matters. And... Yeah. And also you, th- you think as well, I'm probably never going to see any of these people again. Yeah. This is literally, I've bumped into you in a hostel in Berlin. Mm. Right, We're going to hang around for three days and then I will never see you again. So I don't have to worry about being my best me. Or yeah, whatever. yeah, absolutely. And it always feels like such um, uh, one-off, like all one-off kind of events yeah. that you just remember. We, we had this mad um, night, we, we were in Rome and the night, and I don't know football, Rome had beaten Lazio and it was some, they had a big street celebration, it was the Syria R football thing and yeah. they'd, they'd won and so they, we met this waiter at some place where we were getting food and he was like, come to the party with me tonight and we were the group of girls that we'd met as well and we all just went to this street party all night long and all we got told was to sing um, Ella Lazio, I can't remember what the, I don't even know what it was, whatever it means is Lazio is shit and they just taught us how to sing yeah. it and so we just sang it and people just handed us beers as we went along this past went along this party just happy that we were absolutely part of it hanging out with all these people we had no idea and and these are things now that now I think but I don't know who that is I don't really want to be with all these other people and it's probably going to go on for a long time it's just all these other things that would come in that at the time was just this is really exciting and I don't you know I don't know what the game is I don't know what's going on but I'll be part of it and I don't have any of that uh, anymore I I can remember a weekend once when I was about I'd say I was about 20 Eight twenty nine. I hadn't long moved to Cambridge, and it was Friday night. And one of my, I had two flatmates at the time, and they were kind of we'd been living together a couple of months. They were they were sort of most of my social circle because I, I hadn't lived there very long. And one of them was going back home to see her parents, and the other one was going away with her boyfriend for the weekend. And then I asked a couple of people I work with, and one of them was like, basically everybody I knew was leaving Cambridge and I remember having a real crisis about it being Friday night and me being in a house by myself on Friday night and being really like mm. oh is this the end of my life does nobody like me <laughs> will I ever will I ever have friends again this is going to be the rest of my life sitting in on a Friday night and the idea of that now I think what the uh. fuck were you thinking Jesus, the idea of being in on a Friday night—it's actually quite nice. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I, I was saying something the other day that I genuinely think, you know, you know, the big issue in this country moment with loneliness, and I really think the best cure of it is to introduce them to other people for like an hour, and yeah. everyone will go, "Oh no, I'm fine being at home by my own. Actually, I'll, I'll be fine at home." <laughs> when I think now, talking about Europe, I think, Jesus, I, and I was on my own and drunk at like twenty-five. 26, something like that. Staggering around European cities by myself drunk. It's a wonder I haven't got more horror stories to tell. It's terrifying. It yeah. really is. I can remember being in... Um, I was in a place called Trieste, which is uh, northern Italy, basically Slovenia, where they join up. And I only really got off there because I didn't want to go into... Because uh, I was going down to Naples. I didn't want to get into Naples late at night. Mm. And so I thought I'd just stop here for the day because Naples is... Well, Naples is an experience. I went to this hotel that was basically the first hotel that was like over the road from the train, from the train station where we got off. And um, as I was standing in reception, there was an Irish woman checking in. And she was like, oh, like, nice to meet like you. And she said, um, I don't know anyone in this city. I was like, I don't know anyone in this city either. And she said, should I have, have a drink this evening? And I was like, yeah, all right. And I said, the only thing is I haven't got a huge amount of money. She said, I work for the EU. I've got a, I've got a card. I've, 
we went out and got so far. I don't know what she was doing there with the EU. She probably told me. I probably can't remember. <laughs> and we got so absolutely hammered that we couldn't remember where we were staying. And at some point, I was trying to get a key into, because it was a home. The hotel's not the right word, really. B&B, basically. Trying to get a key in, and some guy came down in his pyjamas and opened the door and shouted at me. Because it was just somebody's house. Just somebody's house. I was attempting to get into at 2 o'clock in the morning with a, with a key. Being absolutely that wrecked. And I think now, God, what a lunatic thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Because the other thing is, nobody knew where I was. I didn't have a mobile phone. Do you know? I'd probably sent an email to my mum saying, I'm going down to Italy. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's that thing of, yeah, do you think almost in a way of mobiles made us more concerned because you can check up on me? So if somebody doesn't answer you, almost more worried. And when when I was in Europe again, what was it, 2000, 2001, I went and I didn't have a mobile and I just would have to call up. I'd have to find a landline every so often and call my parents and let them know I wasn't dead. Yeah. You know, but then it meant the rest of the week you were just free to do what you liked. It didn't matter. Yeah. Oh, God. I was in a place called Chesky Kromlov, which is in. The Czech Republic. Right. And it was during, it was 1999, 2000, something like that. You know when every time there was like a world trade organisation mm. meeting, there would be a riot. Yeah, There yeah. was one here, there was one in Seattle, mm. and then there was one in Prague. And excited though I was at the prospect of being near a massive riot, it became clear that it was the best thing to do was to get out of Prague. So, so I asked the people in like the hostel I was staying in, they said, oh, you should go to Chesky Kromlov, it's like a nice little town. So I got down there and I stayed in a hostel that held 15 people. And almost immediately when I got there, I became ill. And I went to bed for probably about 36 hours. You right. know, where you just do that thing where you're like, I don't feel very well because I've been living really badly and travelling and all of that. When I wake up in the morning, they're like, they're like, I'm this creature of fascination to them because I'm this girl that's been asleep in this dormitory for like 36 hours. And also there's this, this palaver going on. Long and short, everybody has gone out the night before and got whacked on absinthe. And someone has had a shit in the shower. Oh, no. And they are all trying to investigate who oh, has, has done this thing. And it was the most glorious feeling of everyone just Because you were just not... I, was, I, been, I, I, yeah. I was a part of it. I was literally just asleep for like 36 hours. And it became this really weird... It was. It, I always think I want to write a play about it, partly because I want to call it the origin of the faeces. But, um, <laughs> but this weird psychology that you saw play out where people started like blaming each other. Yeah. And then like, groups formed of people who thought it was someone else oh that had God. done this. Um, and then nobody wanted to be the first person to leave. Because then it looked because like, then it looked yeah, like yeah. they'd done it. But also, chances are, if they were an absinthe, they wouldn't remember if they'd done it. Or not, it, no. Because uh, have you had an absinthe night? Like, I've definitely... I have. I've drunk, I've drunk absinthe in the Czech Republic. Right, yeah, yeah. Not me too. Night, yeah, but, me yeah. too. It's a, hor- it's a horrible start. But... Oh, it's pretty close to Chipping, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had one uh, at uni. We, we nicked a bottle of absinthe from um, someone else's house. <laughs> and somebody in the year below yeah. had a party. It was crap. And we, so we took their bottle of absinthe and came back. Uh-huh. And um, my flatmate came back to find one, um, one of our friends trying to grab circles on the wall that weren't there um, I was looking in and out of a newspaper like trying to play, hold it close <laughs> to my face uh, my friend Matt was asleep face down in a bean bag as though he'd just fallen into like he just said it was like he'd walked in on a group of just drug addicts but it was, yeah it's such horrible stuff but the stuff in the Czech Republic as well particularly was 
I think the stuff we managed to get over here was at least sweet, and the stuff yeah. in Czech Republic was just like drinking terps or something. Yeah, was, brutal. Oh, horrible stuff. Yeah. But I, I've never, I mean, I drank it before then, but I, I never drank it since. <laughs> Because I was like, it might make me shit in some shower, shit in the shower. Clearly, it's the best advert. That's how they should <laughs> advertise it. Um, tell me, Tim, and how do you deal with a hangover? Oh, Jesus. I, I used to have a really foolproof method of coffee, ibuprofen, and then doing a lot of insulin because yeah. the insulin then, like, and that was the <laughs> thing that my mates couldn't do, and they were always really gutted because oh. the insulin would really help. Um, but uh, yeah, now I, I don't know. I, I just. It's, that thing of, of, like, getting on with it is yeah. um, the best thing, isn't it? Like, sometimes I found that the best ways to deal with it uh, if I've had to like do a lot of work the next day yeah. we did some shows in Hong Kong last year just total slam boast but it was me Howard Reed and Beck Hill we were out there and we were doing some kids shows and the kids shows meant that we had to be up at like seven in the morning going into yeah. these international schools and that meant that whenever we had drinks the night before didn't matter you just had to be up and yeah. and, and those are like I think I hate it and I much prefer to stay in bed and languish in the pain and, and the sorrow and the self-pity yeah. but I think the best thing is you get up and you and, and kids now I mean like, like my daughter now means I have to and yeah. you do just get over it your body yeah. it's a, ter- but a terrible cure though. you wouldn't find that in a magazine wouldn't it have a child <laughs> and then they don't let you yeah. suffer yeah. well they, you, you suffer more if anything but well because also so uh, I, I know this is what this podcast about but I used to take a certain amount of drugs and uh, which oh, I, again I don't do anymore <laughs> yeah well Fair enough, right? Yeah, so I had definitely. Yeah, fair enough. But but I was going to say that, that I learned how to cope with the come down. The yeah. come down's always had a good thing of like marmite was always good to build yeah. the ad and bananas and hangovers. I've never found the same level of cure. You know, hangovers always had these weird remedies where they'd like have a raw egg with this and this. And yeah. I was actually the best is either get on with it or have more booze and yeah. just deal with it. And those are the only two I've ever found that came close to working. Okay, so do you think you could you you can ever see a point where you're not Booze on the head. I don't know. It's tricky, though, isn't it? I, it's 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 that it's that that thing as well of like always kind of. Uh, I don't ever want to say I'm reliant on booze, but there yeah. are times I just need a pint. Yeah, there are times I definitely just need a pint, or just need like um, again. The older I get, sometimes I just need a glass of wine, or just. It, it's very hard to not think that. I definitely I can stop it for long periods. So I'm trying to be healthier, but. It's hard when it would like a beautiful sunny day and just the one thing you need is yeah. a cold pint or, you know, yeah. it's so, I, I don't, I don't know if I can. I don't know. I think if I was told for health reasons, then yeah, that's the only way. I, I sometimes tough. have to put barriers in my, my own way sometimes mm. because like, for example, I'm doing more drinking today. So I, and I, I have to, it's part of my job description today to do more drinking, <laughs> yeah. which is a ridiculous job to have. But Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. But, um, so I haven't taken my car, like, to the train station. I would just have to get a bus or a taxi home when I get off the train station tonight. But there will be times where I think I shouldn't drink, either because I can't afford it or whatever reason. So I will specifically leave a car somewhere so I I know I I can't do it. Because, yes, people will say, oh, but can't you? And you're like, no, because then I'll have to walk home three miles and then I'm going to have to go and pick the fucking thing up again in the morning and it's too much hassle. Yeah, yeah. So I sort of put, or I used to do things where I'd just bring a bit of cash and I would bring my card and then I would have run out of money and I would have run out of money. And now I can't spend anymore. So oh, I, I see. Then I get anymore. people to buy me drinks. That's it. Yeah. The car one is definitely a better. I, I drive to lots of gigs where I know there's going to be lots of free yeah. booze because I'm like, well, I can't. Yeah. Have it, but the the card one doesn't work for me because then I will ask someone to buy me, oh, really? or I'll just kind of can you lend me, and I'll that doesn't work with my yeah. willpower. It's got there's got to be a real 
obvious physical or legal reason why I can't. I mean, I say that. I've, I've got a lot better at going, right, tomorrow I've got to look after my daughter all day or something. I'm just not going to do it. But even so, it's so hard. It's so, it's so hard when you live in an, uh, um, a job that isn't regular, I think. Yeah. And even then, I suppose people live there, you know, I know people that have proper jobs that will still go out drinking on a weeknight because they just know they can, half dead, get through their yeah. day's work. But... But especially when you, when I didn't have to get up in the morning, and when you, you know, when you're away for a weekend or you're away in another country or something. Well, I'm not even very good at going to bed. <laughs> yeah. I am. I am a like a, a child. I have. I live by myself, and yet I still have some form of FOMO that being in bed before ten o'clock is. Oh yeah, I it's mean, impossible. And, and, and it is impossible because I'm in such a weird routine, which didn't help because of the job I did for years and years. I fell into this routine. That I just can't. I just, but that routine I just changes your whole body clock for, forever. Yeah. I, I, don't, I can't do it. You know, again, I say we have like barely any sleep with, with my daughter, and I still can't go to sleep before midnight because I'm just. That's how I'm wired now. Yeah. I have to stay up till mid just because I'm not. Ti- I'm not tired enough to sleep until after midnight. Yeah. And which point I'm then waking up at four or five a.m. going, Oh no, why didn't I go to bed at ten? Yeah. <laughs> why would I do this to myself? So tell me, how is your podcast going? Uh, it's good. I, I mean, mean, that must make you want to drink Brexit, right? All the time. I just want to drink and swear through politics. That's all I want to do. It's part of the reason I do the podcast is because... I should I think... explain. Your podcast is called Partly Political. Yeah, Partly Political Broadcast, yes. And it is uh, it is weekly me ranting. Well, I say ranting. I write a lot of jokes about the week's politics and then I speak to clever people who actually know stuff and then that's always depressing, so I write more jokes. Uh, and that's what I do. Um, but I do it partly because I think otherwise I would shout at people in the park about it or just yeah. scream or whatever. Um, and partly just because it helps me understand it like I just it's so confusing and sometimes boring and insane it's just completely nuts a lot of the time and I feel that by helping myself dissect it that makes you know I can get it yeah yeah Um, but yes I really need to drink um, yeah I understand why there's a parliamentary wine vault I think they (laughs) (laughs) no wonder they're on it Yeah. yeah But that said, you have another reason, I suppose, added investment in the the Brexit cause because going back to diabetes. Yeah, well, if I if there's a no deal, I won't have my insulin, and that's pretty terrifying. It's part of my jokes at the moment is that my uh, I, I talk about that I'm I'm kind of enjoying the idea of a no deal purely because I'll be dead in about two three weeks and I won't have to hear about <laughs> Brexit anymore and that's actually a bonus <laughs> but, but it is a genuine worry and I think the only thing I'm hoping is that Theresa May's type 1 diabetic and I'm sure she's yeah. got her own supply but you'd sort of think I mean she doesn't have any emotions that one but I, you'd sort of hope that at least yeah. that'll be the one thing she looks out for who yeah. knows we'll see yeah it's all it's, I, I don't know it's a uh, so where can people find your podcast? Uh, on all the podcast places. The same place they can find this podcast, probably. Um, okay. But yeah, partly political broadcast on all of the... All the I don't know. that You can get podcasts everywhere now, can't you? I, I don't know. I am like... Some, for someone who's involved in not one but two podcasts, I'm remarkably ignorant of how they work. <laughs> up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.